Now I'm aware that uh, there'll be a number of people here for the first time, students who are new to Sheffield and you're looking around to find a church where you can feel at home. And to all of those, we'd say we would really love it if you felt at home with us here. But obviously there are people here for the first time and uh, you won't know anything about our history and uh, as Mark made that announcement at the start of the meeting, um, that uh, you, you don't know the background to that. Uh, but as a church, this is a pretty significant day for us. For the last few years, we have been praying together for a little lad, Dan. He um, was baptized uh, very young. But very clear he wanted to be baptized and uh, he stood here and he gave his testimony and he was baptized. Shortly after that, in fact immediately after that, uh, it became apparent that he had a serious brain tumor. Um, The church started praying like, well the church has always prayed, but started praying then uh, with uh, a new seriousness, a new faith. And uh, as we prayed we saw some miracles happen. And uh, there was a wonderful time when um, in our prayer time we saw two scans, one the before and the other the after. One showing cancer all down his spine and the next one showing him clear. And that was wonderful. That was exciting to see what God had done. Then as time went on, the cancer returned. And as a church, we've continued to battle in prayer right up to this last Friday night, still battling and praying and uh, believing God. And a lot of faith was expressed on Friday night. A lot of faith. People coming right out of cover and stating what they believe. And then yesterday afternoon, the news that actually he had passed away. There had been words about, uh, a number of people had referred to the story of Jairus' daughter. You will know the story in the Bible, how uh, Jesus came to her. Her parents distraught, Jesus raised her. And that scripture had come more than once. We went over uh, yesterday evening and prayed over Dan, prayed repeatedly, called on God. It became clear God had taken him home. So where are we this morning? Where are we this morning? I just want to share really around one little phrase that you'll find in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 8, just one phrase to lift out of that. And it's these words, perplexed but not in despair. Perplexed, but not in despair. Paul knew what it was to be perplexed. That's why he says it. He knew what it was to be totally confused. And he speaks about that there. Perplexed, but not in despair. Paul knew a number of things that can be perplexing. He knew that bad things can happen to good people. 
Some time back we were looking at what he writes to the Romans in Romans chapter 8 and he's speaking out of his own experience when he says in Romans 8 and uh, verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. He's speaking out of his own painful experience there. He knew what it was to face danger, peril, sword and so on and to be, to face death all day long. Why? Why do bad things happen to good people? But he wasn't the only one to know that. Many of the Psalms pick up that theme. Psalm 73. Verse 3, the psalmist says, I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And he says in verse 13, Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been plagued. I've been punished every morning. He says, see the prosperity of the wicked. He said, I'm trying to live right. And all day long I'm suffering. I'm, I, I've been punished every morning. Why? Perplexed. But of course as Christians, we're following the Lord Jesus Christ. A good man, more than a good man, a perfect man. A man who never sinned, never got it wrong, never had to say sorry. And he died. Tried with a trumped up trial. Terrible punishment. And dying. Why? And then of course as the story goes on, you read of Stephen who is highlighted as a good man. A man full of faith, full of the spirit. And you know the story, what happened to him? The mob get him, stone him to death. Perplexed. Why? Why do these things happen? Good things happen to bad people. Paul knew what it was to have his plans not working out. He writes a very painful letter to churches in Galatia. He'd spent some time there. He'd seen a lot of apparent success. But then in Galatians chapter 4, verse 11, he says, I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. He's heard bad news. He, he spent a lot of time there. He laid a foundation amongst them. He saw a response, but now the news is coming. They've turned away. They've turned back to the things he thought he'd brought them out of. And he says, did I waste my time? I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. And he goes on to say in verse 20, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I'm perplexed about you. Perplexed. Plans that don't work out. Things we think will happen and don't. Paul knew what it was to have his prayers going unanswered. Praying fervently and yet the answer that he wanted not coming. And so in this letter to the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12... And verse 8, he speaks about 
a situation. It's mysterious. We don't know what it was. He says in verse 7, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. He does, it's not more specific. A lot of people have speculated about what that might have been. Well, speculation is pointless. He deliberately doesn't tell us what it was. But we do know this. It was Satan directly attacking him. A messenger of Satan. And it was not easy tormenting him. And his response, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Pleading. He doesn't say three times I prayed. There's real passion going into this. He's under attack. And he's praying fervently. Paul was a man who knew how to pray. Many of us can feel we're beginners in the matter of prayer. Paul knew how to pray. He says he's praying constantly. And here, pleading with God, God didn't answer. Perplexed. Perplexed. Mystery. Why? Paul knew what it was to be on a course that was apparently the right course. And it turns out to be the wrong one. You ever had that experience where as far as you know, you are following the leading that God has given. Maybe you've even got promises from scripture, maybe even some prophetic words to encourage you, that's the way to go. That's what I believe for. And you hit a brick wall. Why? Paul knew that. Writing to the Romans, back in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Words that would be very easy just to read past and not actually get the impact. But he says in Romans 1 and verse 13, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now. Now, when Paul the Apostle makes plans, you can be pretty confident he feels this is the way God wants him to go. He's not just going to do things casually. His time is precious. He's got a commission from God. So if he's making plans to go somewhere, you're pretty confident. God has led him to do that. Plan many times to come to you, but prevented. Hey, when, when you are in good conscience, following the apparent leading of God, and you feel you've got promises from God to take you on that route. When you slam into a brick wall and it becomes apparent you've gone the wrong way, hey, you're perplexed. Why? How did that happen? So Paul knows what it is to have the question, why? Why, Lord? And he says here, Perplexed, but not in despair. Confused, puzzled. And that, in all honesty, is where we could be quite legitimately at this time. So we look back over the last couple of years. If we were to revisit the scriptures, the prophetic encouragement, the times of prayer, if we revisit all of that, say, why? Why has it come to this point? Perplexed, confused, puzzled. 
It's legitimate to be perplexed. Paul is here. He speaks about it. But he says, perplexed, but not in despair. So how do we handle it when we're disappointed? How do we handle it when we quite simply don't understand? Why has this happened? Why has it worked out like this? Well, there are all kinds of possible reactions. We looked at what the psalmist said in Psalm 73, where he's saying, I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I have kept my heart pure, and all day long I'm plagued and punished every morning. He's got the question, why? And as he goes, tries to think about it, he confesses in verse 21. He says, my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered. That's one possible reaction. Just a bitterness. Even frustration with God. Why did God let this happen? Bitterness that we feel... We've been led up the garden path. We've been deceived. We've been led to believe things and that wasn't what was going to happen. How do we respond? Well, the psalmist knows that. And incidentally, if you read Psalm 73, he corrects himself. He comes to a better place. But initially, grieved and embittered. There's the story just before Psalms of Job. Well, if ever anyone was perplexed, that man was. Because he has a succession of calamities everything goes wrong and his response is what heaven is looking at and hell is looking at how's this man going to respond to losing his family losing his possessions losing his health being in agony in anguish how's he going to respond well his wife's response we read in the book of job Chapter 2 and verse 9, his wife said to you, you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. That's a response. Anger? Shaking your fist at God? And Job's response, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job didn't sin in what he said. Yeah, we can be embittered, we can be foolish, we can maybe have a gentler response than that, but nonetheless, not a particularly good one. In the book of John, we we read of how some of Jesus' dear friends felt let down by him. And it was about their brother dying. And in John 11, verse 21 Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then in verse 32, her sister Mary said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Are they reading from the same script? Well, clearly they've talked together. News had got to Jesus about Lazarus, their brother, and Jesus didn't immediately respond they're puzzled by that where is he why hasn't he come and as they talk about it and they see their brother die 
Their response is, if only you'd come, this wouldn't have happened. And when Jesus gets there, this reproach, Jesus, you let us down. We told you, and you didn't come. Lord, if you had been here, it's a very gentle reproach, but nonetheless it's there. Jesus got it wrong. Jesus let them down. So one way of responding, not a good way. Another response is to maybe think it's going to be hard to ever trust God again. It's going to be hard to ever go out on a limb by faith, to believe God for healing. It's going to be hard. Maybe we're going to just shrink back. Hey, we, we gave it our best shot. We really went for this. We responded. We felt to God. And Lord, if you'd been here, God, you let us down. Can we really trust you again? Well, Paul says, perplexed, but not in despair. How can he respond like that? Is that just a matter of temperament? That he's maybe naturally resilient? He looks on the bright side. He's a a glass half full rather than half empty sort of guy. Yeah, we can cope with this. Is that... Is it just a matter of his personality that he responds like that? Perplexed, but not in despair. He's naturally optimistic. No, it's not that. Not that at all. Because he goes on to tell us why that's his response. And really, that's what I want us to see this morning. Why he can respond like that. Honest about being perplexed, but not shattered by it. He says in verse 13, it is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. That's a quote from the Old Testament, Psalm 116. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. He quotes the scripture. And then what this verse could be saying is, The spirit who breathed out those words in the Old Testament is the same spirit of faith who enables us to believe. The spirit breathed out those words, I believed, therefore I have spoken. And with that same spirit, capital S, the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. It's not a matter of temperament. It's not that he's naturally resilient. It's the fact he's got the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives faith. And therefore, we believe. We are called to live by faith. This matter of salvation, the Bible says, is by faith from first to last. It starts when we believe what the Bible says, that we've sinned. We believe what the Bible says, that we cannot clean up our acts. We believe that Jesus, the Son of God, died in our place, punished to take our punishment. And we believe that his 
punishment as our substitute, if we, if we really believe that and receive that, it becomes our forgiveness, our pardon, our punishment moved to him so that we are saved. We believe it. And by believing it, the Bible says we're justified through faith. Having started then by faith, we walk by faith. We don't get swayed or dismayed by what we see. We're walking by faith. We're believing God. So Paul here says, we're not in despair because we believe. The same spirit who breathed out the words, I believe and therefore I have spoken. Paul says with that same spirit of faith, we believe. And what do we believe? Well, he goes on to say in verse 19, We not only believe, we know something. We know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. The reason for faith, well, it's about Jesus. Because it's always all about Jesus. And particularly, it's about Jesus and his resurrection. Why does he say that? He's talking about all the things that could leave him in despair. But he says, why we don't despair is we believe in the one, the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will raise us with Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus, he's saying, is what makes all the difference. Now, why is that? Why is that? Jesus' resurrection was his victory over apparent defeat. Victory over apparent defeat. For the disciples, to their total dismay, the one they had believed in, committed their lives to, has been cruelly killed. He dies. All their hopes are shattered, perplexed, certainly. But Jesus rose again. It was the Roman emperor, through his delegate, who had Jesus crucified. The power of Rome was the great world power. Rome, says Jesus, killed. Jesus rose again. He's greater than earthly powers. Hey, it was all the power of hell that crucified him. Jesus rose again. He's greater than all the powers of hell. Jesus is, Jesus is victory. The fact that he's the king is demonstrated by the resurrection. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, and uh, in verse 3, uh, verse 4, he says that through the spirit of holiness, Jesus was declared to be son of God with power. The resurrection of Jesus demonstrates he's the king. But what kind of king? What kind of king? Not like an earthly king. Not a king who makes everything work out okay. His kingdom is not a place of unbroken happiness. His kingdom 
is about victory after apparent defeat. He led the way. Apparent defeat, but victory. Paul knows about that. Apparent defeat among the Galatians. I'm perplexed. Did I waste my time? He knows what it is to suffer. He says, I want to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. It's victory after apparent defeat. It's a strange kingdom. It's an upside-down kingdom. God's people are called to suffer. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you take up your cross and follow me. So his victory after apparent defeat is the way we go. Apparent defeat. Perplexed. Why did it all end like this? Yeah, but we believe in the king. Believe in the king. And we believe that he reigns. And we're in his kingdom. Doesn't mean to say everything's going to work out okay in this life. Any of these things that Paul speaks about could happen. Hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry about in our body the death of Jesus. Yeah, apparent defeat. Hey, but victory. Because our lives belong to the one who has conquered all powers, the one who is right now seated at the right hand of the Father on high. In other words, we look at these things that are apparent defeat and we see a much, much bigger picture. We see that there's one in heaven who died and rose again and his resurrection will be our resurrection And we will be with him forever. It's a unique kingdom. The world is a cruel place. And cruel things happen. And perplexing things will happen. But we walk with the king. And we walk with him through all of those things. And we're believing him. And we're believing because he is the king, his kingdom will have no end. We will be with him in the place where every question is answered, where every perplexity no longer perplexes us because we see what it was about. Right now, we don't see what it's about. Right now, things are simply puzzling. But, well, Paul says this in verse 16, Therefore, because of Jesus and his resurrection, therefore, We do not lose heart, perplexed, not in despair. We don't lose heart. We don't give up. We don't say, I'm never going to trust God again. We don't say, I'm never going to pray for someone to be healed again. We don't say, I now submit to the power of cancer. It's greater than, no, 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 no. We don't lose heart. Therefore, because of the resurrection, because he's the king, because we know we'll be with him forever, and this is a kingdom that is puzzling, but real, we don't lose heart. We can be affected deeply, but we're not affected destructively. We will grieve, but not like those who have no hope, as we heard earlier. 
Why? Well, verse 18, we fix our eyes not on what's seen, but what's unseen. A deliberate decision. What are we going to look at? What are we going to focus on? What is going to fill our gaze? Disappointment, grief, all of those things are real. And of course we feel those things, we're only human. But we fix our eyes. We fix our eyes not on what's seen, but what's unseen. The king, enthroned in glory, who declared it's finished, he's won. And he calls us to trust him and to believe in his kingdom as we go through all of these circumstances. We fix our eyes by a deliberate decision on him. And then we simply press on. That's what Paul says, no time to go into the next chapter. And he continues to deal with all of this in the next chapter. But in verse 9, in chapter 5 there, in 2 Corinthians, he says, so we make it our goal to please him. He doesn't say, well, I'm giving up. I've given it my best shot. And look, it's all going wrong. And God's let me up a blind alley here. I I can't trust him anymore. No, I'm going to shrink back. I'm going to get a little bungalow by the sea and retire. (laughs) He doesn't say that. He says, we make it our goal to please him. Perplexed? Yes. Yes. Confused. Puzzled. Can't understand it. But not in despair. We make it our goal to please him. We believe in Jesus. And right now, as a church, we're in a very key time. Just like Job was kind of in a crucible, being tested. What's going to come to the surface? The devil says about Job, he'll curse God. God says, no, he won't. All of this stuff comes on him. How's he going to respond? Well, all of this stuff has come on us. How are we going to respond? What's our response? What heaven is looking for is that we say, together as a church, we make it our goal to please him. It's what we're living for. We're going to please him. And we're going to come through this Believing God. And we're going to come through this taking steps of adventurous faith. We will not shrink back. Okay, we've put our shoulder against a real obstacle. What has that done? Weakened us or built some faith muscle? Let's ensure it's the second thing. But actually we've developed some muscle here. And we're going to go for it. We make it our aim to please him. Perplexed? Yes. But not in despair. Let's pray.